feels really good to actually sit down and kind of make out a list like we have and just film some of this past decade that you and I both revere and uh, just gush about these films, talk about our experience with them, and hopefully pique some of your interests out there to watch these films and to research them. I actually had a friend who we gave a sneak peek to one of our podcasts and after listening to it, she said she wanted to watch Hereditary. So All right. we must be doing something right here. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> but I think that's kind of the plan for tonight, right? We're just going to settle in, have a few drinks, and gush about films that we really enjoy. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. What are you drinking, Jonathan? Oktoberfest from Casey Beer Co. Yeah, I've been drinking a lot of the Oktoberfest lately. I can't get enough of it. I'm also drinking the same thing. I do intend to have... Some, what did you bring? Old... Old... Overholt? Yes. Old Overholt <laughs> whiskey with some apple cider. It's fantastic. Don't judge me. So I kind of wanted to start maybe by saying what this list that we have is not. Okay. Does that sound fine with you? I, I, I don't think Jonathan or I by any means would say that this is an exhaustive list of all the horror movies you should see that came out in the last decade. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. You, know, you could devote seasons worth of podcasts to that if you wanted to. What this list is is just our attempt to just share our enthusiasm for these films, and as well as try and maybe pick some of the best ones out of the many quality offerings the 2010s had. These are the films that we've seen and that we feel like talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I also though I do view I do think it could be somewhat of an educational experience if. People have not seen these films, and I feel it is my duty as an enthusiastic film watcher to get you all to want to watch these movies. I think we do have a pretty good list, and maybe correct us if there's anything we missed. Please be kind in the comment section. <laughs> fragile, fragile egos. <laughs> That's right. All right, Jonathan, I had a question for you. This isn't necessarily film-related. Well, it's not at all, actually. So, you're a man who wears sandals and socks. Birkenstocks, to be exact. Correct? I am. Yeah. How do you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've come to a place in my life where I just don't care anymore. How I look comes second to how comfortable I am. So, although past versions of myself might be ashamed to see me now, I've fully embraced it. Couldn't be happier. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could be happier. You could be you and wearing cool shoes. But (laughs) I'll give you that one. So that, that's not even necessarily what I wanted to talk about. I want to know your opinion. Let me, let me set the stage a little bit first. There's this guy I work with at MRI, and he's, he's, a very, he's an older guy. He's in his 50s, late 50s. He's very intelligent, very, very up on culture, very, pretty with it. You know? he, he's, he even said he's hip. And I wouldn't, dis, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think he is. But today, I don't even know how, how this topic came up, but the topic of tucking a t-shirt into your pants came Ooh. up. Mm. And apparently, to him, I was... And he was joking, of course, but he, he said I was getting really worked up about it. You know me. I just have a strong opinion, and then I move on with my life. <laughs> he brought it up later. He was like, I thought you might leave or today. You seem so worked up about it. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you doing that. Yeah. I don't think I was that worked up about it. I think it really bothered him because he brought it up six hours later, you know. But he basically, after my, my tirade about tucking T-shirts into your pants, he's like, well, I do that. <laughs> I was like, well, you're old. He's like, yeah, but, and he made a good point. He said, but you have to think about it, you know, 30 years ago, they didn't make t-shirts for thin people. Everything was big. Mm. So you had to tuck it in. Yeah. My whole point of that is, 
What are your thoughts on that? Is it ever acceptable to tuck a t-shirt? If you're in like the 1950s and you've got some blue jeans and like, you know, tight white t-shirt yeah. tucked in. But this is in the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> if you got like a cigarette pack yeah. rolled in your sleeve. Yeah, I mean, that's cool if you can pull it off. Uh, but this isn't... Man, I don't know. That I'm not there yet. I'm not that enlightened. Yeah. I feel like now big shirts are fine. Like you can have like an oversized t-shirt. Yeah, so I guess you could tuck that in, but I, I just don't, I don't know how someone could tuck in a t-shirt and not look like they're 55 or older. Maybe I'm just out of it. Maybe that's cool now. I don't know. Maybe that's what the kids yeah, are doing. I mean, I'm going to side with you on this. I don't see that too often, and it's not something I would do. Well, and I conducted a highly scientific poll all day, too, asking people <laughs> what they thought, and 100% were on my side. The, Except, peop- the people of Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> yes, the people I work with. 100% of them were on their side. Although one girl did say that if you were wearing like a, a long sleeve shirt over a t-shirt that was open, you could tuck in the t-shirt. And I still disagree with that. Mm. But like, it, you know, that say... If it's out of sight? Say, well, but you're, if your shirt's open, it's not out of sight. You know, if, yeah, if it's out of sight and you're wearing like a long sleeve over it, of course you can tuck in the t-shirt. But if, you're, if your shirt is open to where the buttons are undone and that t-shirt is very much a part of your getup, you should never wear a t-shirt that's going to be longer than your long sleeve shirt to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I have to think on this. Anybody else is listening, please tell me if you disagree. Don't tuck in your t-shirts, people. <laughs> yes. If you take one thing away from this podcast tonight, do not tuck in your shirts. You will be judged. <laughs> so, I think we touched on our last podcast, Jonathan, a little bit about like why horror was important in the last decade. And how it provided an alternative to the sequels and the franchises and, and temple uh, films that studios were making. Yeah. I think it came in just at the right moment to save the day, to offer some original content. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And I was kind of looking up, doing a little bit of research on this, and um, I just want to briefly mention two films that I think maybe turned the studio's heads a little bit and allowed these horror films to be given a little, little bit more of a leash and um, allowed them to be made. The first one would be, it came out in 2007, Paranormal Activity. Everybody knows that film. It was made in a budget of $15,000 and grossed $193.4 million. Yeah, it was a phenomenon, wasn't it? It was. I think what it showed studios, importantly, because they do have the money and the backing, was that a small film made by talented, dedicated people could make a lot of money. And that's what they're worried about. But us as audiences, we benefited because the studios decided to take more risks and back artists that, that were wanting to make this kind of film. Now, I wouldn't necessarily include Paranormal Activity in like the prestige horror we were talking about, but I do think it was an important film to at least get the wheels turning and, and to get studios thinking about or once more as like a viable kind of tentpole option. Yeah, and I mean, it, I think you're right. It wasn't the first time it ever happened. I mean, Blair Witch Project did the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, maybe not quite on the scale of paranormal activity. I really had no awareness at the time of how successful it really was. Yeah, it kind of blew my mind. Like I, I knew everybody had seen it, but when I was looking into the numbers, that return is insane. It made more money than most of these other films we have on this list combined. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Um, another one to bring up, this one was in 2010, so it kind of continued that, but um, I think Insidious also kind of helped uh, studios realize there was a market and an appetite for, for horror films, and, and not only horror films, but the fact that like these were standalone franchises, these were uh, standalone stories that, that weren't adaptations of comic books or, or some other uh, graphic novel. You know, Insidious was made for $1.5 and had a much more modest return of $99.5 million. Still, I think both those films kind of helped set in motion this idea that horror can be profitable and it hands off in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, for sure. 
Because I mean, I don't think the studios really had their hands in, in these films very much. Well, it's such a it's such a small risk for them. Mm-hmm. They're happy to throw a million, a few million dollars at someone. It could potentially return have a return a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what absolutely. Two thousand ten. Also, uh, we got Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. Oh my God! Which I guess did well. Like I don't know what the box office was, but it did end up winning. Or getting nominated for some Oscars. Best Picture. It won Best Picture, that's right. It didn't win it. It was nominated. Oh, okay. yeah. What you had was this this famous filmmaker deciding to do like a dark thriller on a big scale. I mean, it had Natalie Portman as the star. And as hard to watch as it was, it did really well. And was lauded by critics. Yeah, that kind of brings to mind the question is, is Black Swan a horror film? Do you think it it would fit comfortably in that category? Because I noticed a lot of people talked about it as a psychological thriller. Uh, you'll see that I've learned about a lot when critics want to give it praise and awards, <laughs> at least at the time, in 2010. And I think you'll see that yeah. change over the decade. But at that time, no one wanted to say a horror movie is a best picture contender. So it had to be a psychological thriller. Yeah, They called Silence of the Lambs a psychological thriller. Right, right. It's, it was it was a respectable label. And I that's how I would have put it, too. I used to say, like, well, I'm not a horror person, but I like psychological thrillers. So, <laughs> yeah, we've all come a long way. But it's, it's a fuzzy distinction, I think, that because Black Swan is set in the real world, in, like, a specific place and specific time, and because anything supernatural about it is supposed to be viewed as psychological. Right. I think that's where you can get away with calling it a thriller. Yes, so there's definitely, that's one of the, the draws of the film. You're not certain what's reality, what isn't, and what is. But I, again, I don't, you know, not horror movies don't necessarily have to have supernatural elements. I mean, the entire slasher genre, half the time, is just about a crazy person killing people. That's a good point. <laughs> there's definitely moments of horror in that film. I mean, there's some body horror, for sure, and, and some of those dream sequences she has where she's turning into a swan, or just the physical toll it takes on the ballerinas. It's grotesque, and... I found it very un- unsettling and very disturbing. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time I was watching it. Yeah, the thing that sticks with me, uh, there were, like, more gruesome things in the film, but doesn't she, like, pull her fingernail off at some point? Was it a fingernail or toenail? Her toenails are cracked from, like, all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so she, like, pulls a toenail off. And the thing is, like, I can't conceivably imagine, like, getting my arm cut off. I don't know what that would feel like. But I know what it losing, like, <laughs> like, peeling off a toenail might feel like. And it's so cringy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yes. It's just horrific enough to where it makes you uncomfortable, but not so out there that you can't imagine it. Yeah. So maybe that's one step toward the newfound respectability of horror. I think so. I think that's a that's a really good observation to make. You had, and, and this isn't the first time it's been done, but you did have this well-known, unique voice within Hollywood that decided to go into the horror genre, at least dabble in it. I mean, Kubrick did it, you know, so it's not like this is the first time that's ever happened. Spielberg, Polanski. Yeah, and when these famous directors have done it in the past, they've tended to not be rewarded for it. Um, I don't think The Shining was that well received. I'm not, I'm not sure at the time. I mean, obviously now it is. And another thing about Black Swan, 
it was just such a fine piece of filmmaking. I think you'll find that in most of these movies that we're going to talk about. It wasn't just a good horror film. It was just a fantastic film. And Darren Aronofsky just drew the viewer into this this like world of like intense competition and paranoia and, and bodily sacrifice, mental sacrifice, emotional sacrifice for, for this craft, this art. It was just a like just haunting, engaging film that was in the hands of this very capable filmmaker. Yeah, it, it made it hard to question the art of it. And then the very next year, 2011. Are you ready to move on? Uh, Let's go watch Black Swan. <laughs> <laughs> Cabin in the Woods. This is horror of the meta variety. Yes. And maybe took it to a level that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, don't, I don't know what your feelings are on spoilers. I don't want to ruin anything for somebody who hasn't seen Cabin in the Woods, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll try not to, to spoil anything too bad, but these are films that if you care about this, this kind of stuff, you but 9 out of 10, you've, you've seen this. But Cabin in the Woods consistently is a film that, with people who don't care about horror, they love that film. Like, consistently. Every person yeah. I've shown it to that, has not, that doesn't consider himself a horror fan loves Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, because it's it's uh, it's like a roller coaster ride. It's fun. It doesn't take itself seriously. I remember when I I first saw it in theaters. It opens up with those, those two men wearing suit uh, ties, talking about like their weekend and just a regular Monday morning. You know, a, I'm going to need three cups of coffee, middle class fancy kind of Monday. Yeah, it's morning. It's very middle class fancy. <laughs> They're talking about that, then all of a sudden it just cuts to like wow this scream and it's just cabin in the woods yeah. <laughs> right across and I remember just even from, from that I was just like what the fuck am I watching <laughs> um, and it never let up it it followed the typical like horror tropes in so many ways which it did intentionally it was very aware of the jock the the nerd the slut the the virgin and uh, the fool I guess the pothead you know they were all there um, but they all kind of, they even subverted those stereotypes, right? Like the jock was actually really smart. He was telling, he was telling the virgin, like which, uh, which professors to take and which books of philosophy to read. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, so I found all that intriguing before they even get off the road. You just, you have this idea that this, this film loves horror movies and it knows exactly how to like destroy all the rules in them, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely a screenwriter's film. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um. Josh Whedon. Yeah, jo- Josh Whedon, he co-wrote it, at least. I think its contribution, it was like a shock to the system of the genre. It kind of woke people up, and we we realized, you could do a lot with this. Right. You could do a lot with like the history of horror that we have so far. Even playing on horror tropes, you can make something clever and original. And, uh, frank- frankly, it has its moments where it's unsettling. It's, there, there's enough scares in that film. Uh, what it does well is it's it balances like humor because it's really funny at times. Mm-hmm. It's over the top violent, but then at the same time, it, it and there are very suspenseful parts because you give a damn about the characters. Yeah, and and they don't have to spend a lot of time with those characters. You're bouncing back and forth between these two storylines. I mean, they're all interweaved, but there's like one group of people and another group of people, and you're following both sets. And so in that that small amount of time, they do a pretty good job establishing character. And so like when these these kids start dying, it's not funny. It, it bothers you. And I just found that really impressive. 
Yeah, anytime a movie can handle tonal shifts like that, it's so much fun. And I, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I remember thinking in the third act, when it all happens, <laughs> you know what I'm referring to, I remember thinking, I've never seen anything like this. Did you have that same experience? Yeah, which is kind of what I watch horror movies for, is like when the floor falls out from under you, and you're like, <laughs> where is this going? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like I'd seen it all before. Uh-huh. You know, I saw Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a consistent theme of this decade, honestly. I've seen it all in horror. And then Girl Walks Home Alone and that comes out. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> so Cabin in the Woods, watch it. Moving on. 2013, <laughs> Under the Skin. Uh, this one probably deserves its own episode. I love this film. We can revisit it sometime um, if we need to. I rewatched it recently, and I was really taken with the lack of exposition. Like, you're not handed anything by the dialogue as far as what the story is about or what's going on. You're just a spectator. You're just seeing things happen. The filmmaking is very cold and detached. An alien perspective on humanity... And it's really, I feel like it's really got something to say about beauty and the unique quality of humans in that we, like, hunt our own. Mm. So Scarlett Johansson plays the main character. She's from another world. She drives around looking for lonely men. But then it's like she doesn't, she, we slowly see her, like, observing humanity and becoming curious she doesn't realize that her beauty also makes her a target Hmm. so under the skin it's a few thoughts I guess the first one is I saw it on my TV during the day not the most ideal place to watch it and I couldn't stop watching it I was riveted how long is this film it's like two and a half hours three hours It's, it's pretty long I think it's kind of long and I just, I sat down, I was fully engrossed at my own home during the day. That's, that's hard to do. This, this film, Under the Skin, is one of the best films of that decade. It, it basically, I, I don't know if you ever have this experience, Jonathan, but some movies come along that just reinvigorate your, your love of cinema, right? Like, I watch a lot of movies, and sometimes I can get into a rut. And then a film will come along that'll just wow me and punch me in the face and say, nope, this is what this art form has to offer. Yeah. And Under the Skin is one of those films for me. To this day, I, I, get, I get chills almost, <laughs> like thinking about certain scenes. Um, I will say, kind of like you, like you were saying, she's an alien, and this film is maybe, it's, it maybe did the best job of any film or literature or any art form that I've experienced of like showing like kind of the absurdity of humanity, right? You, you, feel, you feel like you really, truly get a detached, completely objective view of Earth and people within it. Uh, it, it allows you to take a step back by watching it. I think that was just a brilliant move by the filmmaker, by watching it through this alien's eyes. And just how like random this all is and how beautiful it all is and how mm. horrifying it all is. It's all there. Yeah, the beauty and then just the the tragedy of life and, like, the coldness of it. Some of the men she picks up, 
you don't care about because they seem to be jerks and who would take advantage of someone like at any given opportunity. And then some of them are so sad <laughs> yeah, and pathetic and lead such uh, just like lonely lives. And you're so, you're, you're, you're kind of with her, you're, you're kind of following her perspective. And, and like when she picks up the, um, the man who's severely deformed, deformed burned or yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so tense because you, you want so badly for him to get away from her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like the strongest appeal to her inhumanity. <laughs> yeah. That someone could come up with. And then she, you know, when she does, she does kind of turn a little bit and try to find a place in the world and doesn't succeed. Right. And realizes she, the tables are turned and she realizes what an inhuman place this can be. Yeah. Yeah. That she's not, as an outsider, she's not the only threat. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the horror in this film. There's one scene that comes to mind that, you know, I like to bring up, but it's the beach scene. For those of you who have not seen this film, a, a family, a, a husband and wife, you would assume, with their young child, the child's probably about six months, a year, you're that the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're having an outing on a beach, and I don't remember entirely, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but like, I'm pretty sure the camera's just fixed. It's, it's basically... A, an observer. The wife just falls in the ocean and the tide carries her out to sea. And the father, you know, in desperate to save the love of his life, goes after her. And he gets carried out to sea. And so basically, within the matter of just a few minutes, the universe, the world, has taken his two people and nobody cares outside of, outside of what's going on in that, on that beach. They're swung out to sea, and the last thing we see is a baby just sitting there um, in the sand as the tide is coming in crying, and there's nobody around except for, the, except for Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, in the cold, a, in the wind, in the dark, Yeah, a baby on the beach just wailing. Yes. Three lives are extinguished. It's horrific, and nobody notices. And of course... And uh, nobody cares. Yeah, and... Chilly. Scarlett Johansson's character is almost like a stand-in for, in that scene, for the indifference of the universe. Yeah. Because she is there, and she walks right by. Yeah. That, to me, is more frightening than most anything supernatural. Yeah. It's, it's a powerful scene. And then, on the other hand, the other, there's... There's another element of horror in this, which is supernatural. The one that really bothers you. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the scariest things I've ever seen, I think, when she, just the process of her luring these men, mm-hmm. um, and it's done so, it's done so well. You can't really describe what happens, um, but what's terrifying about it is seeing someone who realized totally helpless, they're done for, and they are in a place they can't even describe, 
look over, you see someone who came before you. <laughs> yeah, they've been there longer. <laughs> who is in a who is in a furthered state of decomposition, mm-hmm. um, and yet still alive, apparently. Yeah. No, very in, in agony, very much. <laughs> yeah, and so that, so the horror in that scene for me comes from like being in a place where you see what is in store for you, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, yeah. And even in that scene, I remember there's there's an element of like humanity found in it, right? The the individual who's on the verge of bursting, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Like starts to reach out right yeah. for the other person, and and it, there's just a shot of like these two human hands coming together because that's all they can do in that moment right. is just connect, grab a hold of somebody, yeah. experience like it together, comfort, comfort them a little. Yes, bit. that's all. That's the only. That's the only thing that their instinct is telling them to do in this moment. And then, bef- right, right before it, they connect, he's gone. Yeah, that's rough. This movie's unforgiving, man. It's brutal. It's brutal. And it's not like overly graphic or anything. It's just, it's brutal. And you should watch it. <laughs> and you should watch it. Seriously. Like, make time in your life and watch this movie. Okay. <laughs> All right. 2014 brings more good tidings. It follows. A girl walks home alone at night and the Babadook. Yeah. Why don't you tell the audience about the uh, revelation you gave to me? Oh, okay. So (laughs) my impression looking back was that this was the year where people realized that this this was just the beginning of a wave of new horror films and that we could expect these on a regular basis. Before this, I feel like films just felt like anomalies. Like, Under the Skin was an anomaly. Cabin in the Woods is an anomaly. But now, with with It Follows and The Babadook, I feel like those are two that everyone can agree on fall into this category of elevated horror, prestige horror. Yeah. It's almost like... I think, I think the other films you discussed can as well, but it's almost like that term came to be, came to fruition um, in this year. Realized we needed... We need, yeah. There was some recognition that that horror was becoming not just for genre fans, but like a must-see destination for film fans or for just the movie-going audience at large. Um, critics started to pick up on it. My, my brother, who doesn't ever watch films, like it's just you know he's he's an engaged, intelligent individual, and he he likes likes art and he likes sports and. He likes to get out in the world, but like films just never really been something that he cares about, you know. But like even he was like, I want to watch It Follows because everyone's been talking about it and yeah. the idea is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. my brother is basically the barometer of whether or not a movie is transcendent. <laughs> if Ben Cowens wants to see it, you know it's good. Well it 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 broke out of the horror base. People outside of genre fans were writing and talking about it. Let's talk about a little bit about It Follows. Uh, I, I actually saw it at the Moxie, our independent cinema here. Uh, where, where did you watch it at? 
Oh, I can't remember. Probably on, on TV or on the small screen. Or did you actually see it in theaters? No, I, this is not one I caught in theaters. Yeah. It's got a simple idea, and it it's just works really well. It, it is simple, but the, the supernatural element was very original. The uh, <laughs> Basically, there's this thing. It's an it. <laughs> Nobody knows what it is. There's no explanation as to where it came from. Um, but it, essentially, it will follow you. It'll walk after you. It doesn't run. It just follows. It just never stops walking until it kills you. And once it kills you, it goes on to the next person, the last person you had sex with. Right? So it's passed along through intercourse. And the only way to get it to stop following you is to have sex with someone. To have sex with someone else. Knowing that whoever you have sex with is doomed to be pursued by this thing. Not to mention, if you have sex with somebody, you know it's going to pursue them until they die, so you're not, you don't feel comfortable or safe, because they're probably going to get killed, and then it's going to come for you. Sure, yeah. As soon as it kills them, it's going to start following you again. It is a very simple concept. It sounds kind of silly talking about it out loud, but it was, I thought it was a very original idea, and I thought it, I thought it was a great way to explore like, teenagers and their sexuality and coming of age. And kind of the, 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 fair, the fear inherent with having sex, basically, and, and changing, and like addressing that topic in kind of an interesting new way. And maybe the fear of like sexually transmitted diseases, some sure. of which, once contracted, can change your quality of life for the rest of your life. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a terrifying... Yeah, I, th- I think it goes beyond STDs. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a terrifying predicament. <clears throat> yeah. And it's such a like moral quandary. What's oh, is it? Yeah, I guess. What makes it interesting? Yeah. Like what what should one do in that situation? You should have sex with somebody. Do you do you have sex with Cuz it's not like your death is going to stop it. Right? That's true. It's going to keep going. Your so, death would be in vain. So what they do is they right is they at least one character in the film Upon having sex with someone, at least the gives the, which this is this is out of self interest, I suppose. Immediately tells the person this is what's going on. Yeah, you need to have sex with someone. The main character is told by this by this boy. Yeah, yeah, what what's happening? And it was just it was just such an original, interesting concept, and I thought genuinely creepy. <laughs> like a lot of the a lot of the sequences were upsetting. Uh, I loved the soundtrack, too. I don't know if you remember that. It was very much like a retro kind of 80s-inspired synth soundtrack. Okay, yeah. It felt like it would have been at home in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh-huh. You know? It was perfect. And then the setting, of like it was a modern-day Detroit, but it very much, again, felt stuck in the 80s, which I, um, my dad's side of the family, they're all from Detroit, so I've grown up going there I've been there many many times and it's a very accurate <laughs> depiction uh-huh. of this city I, I felt I felt at home in that film like yes this is Detroit it like really captures the essence of that town it's kind of a place stuck in time and know? like a lazy adolescent summer mm. which this kind of interrupts yeah um, like all the kids the neighborhood kids are just hanging out you know there's nothing going on right much like relationships Attraction, sex, coming of age. 
that can absolutely interrupt like the innocence yeah of of, uh, of hanging out with your friends in summertime and kids yeah I think it's a great metaphor yeah and talk about scary the idea that a clock is ticking <laughs> yeah and it's only a matter of time like something is coming for you and there's no stopping it yeah you can run as much as you want it's gonna catch up with you yeah you could go across the world 3,000 miles and it would eventually still catch up with you (laughs) so it follows great score original concept genuinely creepy go watch it (laughs) (laughs) so I think the next film we want to discuss is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night the Persian language film vampire western romance made in America that you didn't know you needed (laughs) until you saw it no one knew they needed this (laughs) (laughs) it's black and white it's black and white Barebones story, but um, I think its strong suit is the chemistry between the main two characters. They have these... Any scene in the film with with both of them, you're kind of just like leaning forward, waiting for something to happen. And they have these very almost slow motion sequences of them like just staring at each other. Kind of reminds me of Drive in that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what I remember most about that film, obviously, was, well, one, is the stunning uh, atmosphere that's brought about by, I think, the black and white film. And in, in in that it, it is, it's a, it's a great choice to use black and white in that film. Yeah, it's, the visuals are great, and it, and it has this otherworldly quality to it. Like, it does feel like it, it was shot somewhere else in time. But when this came out, I thought, you know, maybe we'll start getting more of these quasi-foreign films made in America, Hmm. the country being increasingly, uh, an increasingly diverse place, you know? Um, We're so used to thinking of foreign films being, having to be made overseas, but we have so much diversity here, like, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw more films made here that were in other languages. Yeah, so foreign language films made in America. Yeah. That's a great observation. Um, I think we would only benefit from it. Absolutely. We have so many diverse cultures and, and people. Parasite won Best Picture, so there's no reason not to. <laughs> I still can't believe that Parasite was the first... Korean film nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. I mean, glad it won. It should have won. It's that, that's like fucking insane. It's like the correction of that oversight. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, apparently we've gotten over the whole reading subtitles thing as a culture. Well, critics have anyways. Yeah. Um, there was absolutely a backlash. The Academy has. Um, amongst people about having to read subtitles. <laughs> They couldn't believe that a film with subtitles could possibly be the best picture. Uh, but I think that could be a, another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so back to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, again, a, a, such a common theme 
a thread running throughout these these episodes, I'd never seen anything like it. I didn't know anything about this movie going in other than I should watch it. And I still don't know like exactly what happened. <laughs> it's, but I've never seen anything before or since like that film. It's it's just it's interesting. This this woman is alluring and she's kind of scary and we just get to follow her around as she interacts with like different men in her life. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene in particular I remember with her and the the main character. I don't remember the character's no, name. I don't even yeah. know. Yeah, I don't. Maybe he didn't have a name. Yeah. We'll we'll say handsome Persian man. <laughs> uh, he he did great. Um, but like her and him, they kiss in this scene. But the scene's like five to ten minutes long. It's this long drawn out scene where they're just staring at each other. This amazing like rock song playing in the background. And throughout the course of this entire song, they just get closer and closer and closer. And there's just such as like gratification and and release. Like when they finally kiss, you're you're so excited. You're like, yes, they did it because it's been <laughs> building not only like prior to that scene in the film, but like in that scene itself, it, it felt like they were you know climbing mountains to get there. And yeah, it's it's maybe the most memorable kiss for me of any film I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's. It, it really does pull you in, and I think it's because she's so unknowable. Yeah. Like, she seems like this cool, quiet, like, girl who loves, like... Who's a vampire. Underground music. <laughs> um, there's great songs in this film. But then, yeah, she's a vampire, and she does some, like, scary stuff. So you're not sure, like, whether she's good or not. Like, wh- yeah. where her morality lies. Um, and then... That same kind of, like, suspense and release happens at the end when they're driving out of town. They've decided to... They've made the choice you want them to make. They're leaving... Bad, it's called Bad City, I think. Mm-hmm. Islamabad. It is called Bad City, um, yeah. They're getting out. On the drive, he realizes that his father's death was her fault. He doesn't know how, he doesn't know much about her, but he realizes because the cat, she has the cat that her dad had, um, and it's with them in the car. And nothing is said, I don't think, but you realize that it dawns on him. He stops the car. Long scene. (laughs) Yeah. And then he chooses to keep driving. And that's a great ending. Yeah. You know, like, to accept her despite whatever she's done. Keep driving. Yeah. It's very romantic. It is. It was such a good romantic film. That also had vampires in black and white setting in a western. A vampire. Yeah, a vampire. Yeah. Right. But her sliding down the streets at night in her like, cloak and striped t-shirt on a skateboard. I feel like that kind of made the film, too. Just, like, that image. Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with her. Yeah. The minute I saw her. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I fell in love with, at least with the image on screen. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Fantastic film. Go watch it. Go watch it. <laughs> you won't see anything like it before or since. So the next film on our list, this one for me was kind of a hard watch. The Babadook. It deals very much with 
parental isolation. The feeling of being alone, trying to take care of another human. Uh, as a parent, I can relate to that sentiment. It's hard. It's hard raising another human being. It, it costs a lot. Costs a lot. Yeah. The Babadook was also, I mean, it was just, it was generally, like all these films, unsettling, creepy, kind of scary. But it, it does what I think horror does best. It brought to the surface, like, taboo thoughts and taboo fears yes. that society has. The, the Babadook was very much concerned with the idea of, like, parental resentment. Of your child. Th- those moments where you wish you weren't a parent. Those moments where your child seems like an adversary. Oppositional. Um, they seem like a parasite in some way. Like they, they're taking from your life. Uh, the Babadook went there. And un- it was unflinching in that. It was, a, it was a key component of that film. And that, that made me very uncomfortable. I wasn't a parent yet. Um, but I was, I mean, I was contemplating it. I wanted to have kids, you know. Uh, so I didn't entirely experientially know what, what the character was going through. But it still, it just made me very uncomfortable to think about that. I think if we're honest, like most parents have had those thoughts, they go there. But I've, I've never seen it depicted in a film like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much despair in that film. And, and the child character, a lot of times, is like deeply unlikable. <laughs> Like, there, there are moments in that film where you're, you just want to tell that kid to shut up and just chill for a minute, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the mother, like, she, she wants to. She, she, she goes there even. And there's almost like catharsis when she does. But, of course, no good comes from it. And I, I just, yeah, it was uncomfortable. But I think that's what horror does. It, it, can, it can explore those, those taboo subjects and... Babadook very much did that. Yeah, yeah, and it, more than any of these other films, I think, exemplifies one aspect of what we mean when we talk about prestige and elevated horror, the metaphorical aspect, because the metaphor here is right on the surface. I mean, this is a film about grief, and the monster in this film doesn't go away. It's not something that ever goes away. It's something that they have to acknowledge, yeah, and make peace with, and almost and kind of tend to. Yeah, in the, the Babadook. Yeah, yeah. Is this thing that, that her uh, her son discovers. It will always be with them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a such a good good observation to make. Also, the thing that will always be with them is that I think that tension between um, the parental protection instinct, the the desire to cultivate a child's life and and see them succeed. But then there's that tension with like your own dreams, your own ambitions. What if I? What was? What? What life could I have had? Yeah, this this child is. I mean, metaphorically speaking, in the film, like attacking that, killing that, essentially. Yeah, I think I think that's a very like interesting and great way to look at that very real and intense struggle of parenthood. You know, I, I myself am a father, and I wouldn't give Autumn up for anything in the world. But you can't help but think when you're a parent at some point in time, like, what did I give up to have this? You know, I don't regret it. But, like, the Babadook goes there to where the parent is saying out loud, I regret this. 
talk about the function of horror, I mean, if anything, to talk about things that are taboo. Like, we need to be able to express these sort of sorts of feelings that are common up, you know, mm-hmm. among a lot of people. It does, it does no one any good to silence that. Yeah. You're going to feel resentment at some point. Yeah. And the Babadook took that internal struggle, that resentment, that loss of self, that uncertainty of survival that parents sometimes feel, especially single parents. I have this, I can barely keep my, my own head above water and yet I have this other small, helpless person to take care of. Yeah. It, it, tur- it took all that and turned it into a monster in the Babadook. It's a brilliant stroke, I think. Which, you know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of a bleak movie, but doesn't it feel good to see that on screen? To see, like, a character wrestle with that and yeah, yeah, I, I come out th- the other side. I think so. I think it's, um, I, think it was, I think it was cathartic, in a sense. <laughs> to, just to see, like, that, that be admitted, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's a fictional movie, but, I mean, all, all fiction is coming from experience. Those, those issues and those thoughts were being represented on screen. It was bold to go there. Yeah, this is not one that I've revisited, unfortunately. It's been a while since I've seen it. It has stuck with me, and I think it cemented what was to come. Those three films from 2014, kind of go back to what we were saying, they were in a lot of people's best of lists, you know, best films of the year. I mean, I, I bet you could look at most renowned critics around around the United States and, and see these three films in their best of, of lists. Yeah. I would wager that's going to be pretty common. Yeah, so again, horror was refusing to be... Marginalized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. All of a sudden, you had to watch these. You had to acknowledge the artfulness of them. Yeah. So, Baba Duke. Watch it. Great film. <laughs> Go watch it. Yes. So, 2015. There's a there's a small film that came out called The Witch. It's probably my favorite horror film of all time. If I was making a best of uh, the decade. I would absolutely include The Witch. Uh, I don't know much about David Egger be, be, before The Witch. It was his first film? It was his first film, okay. Talk about a film where I remember the time and place. <laughs> I remember what the weather was like when I saw it. It was cool outside and clear. And I, the stars were shining. <laughs> I, I, if you watch one film on this list, I would say it's The Witch. The second one would be Under the Skin, but I would put The Witch first. Yeah. Maybe you disagree, Jonathan. But no, I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think that I've been thinking about this today. I think if you're going to crown one of these films king of this decade, as far as the genre goes, it's got to be The Witch. I don't know who would argue with it being an instant classic mm. in the horror genre. Like, it just... Our friend Travis Bell would... Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I saw it with Travis, and he wasn't crazy about it. <laughs> but okay, all right, all right. Well, criticism requires uh, dissenting opinions. But <laughs> but man, this it does everything right. The subtitle is like a New England fairy tale or folk tale. Folk tale, yeah. And the way that it's written, the dialogue they use, and the performances in delivering that dialogue. You're just hanging on every word. It feels so authentic. It felt authentic, even absolutely. The, even the child actors feel right out of the 1700s, I guess. 
it puts you in a place. And really, we need more horror films about the birth of America, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about our puritanical roots, about yeah. questionable theology, original sin. Yeah, David Edgars, or Ed, Eggers, excuse me, David Eggers, he, he said, like, he wanted to direct a film about where he grew up, which was New England. And he's like, I wanted to make a, a folk tale, and, which is, seemed to him, like, very much, you know, they didn't originate New England, that folklore, but, come on, I mean, Salem is synonymous. We, we which is, yeah. yeah. And so, to him, this was, this was kind of a passion project, you know. This was really him bringing about the, the places that shaped him, his, his childhood. These places that were so important to him, bringing, bringing all these together and, and showcasing its history and its, its, its rich you know, folk culture, uh, as well as, I think it's so pertinent to America, to be honest. There's, there's so much in The Witch that deals with uncertainty about where we go when we die, the afterlife. Are we saved? Are we not? There's a lot of like, fear of like, female sexuality in that film. And America's still very much uncomfortable with that. And so it's a beautiful film in that it, it is a horror film about like America's roots, our puritanical roots, but it's also still very uh, relevant today and it resonates with, with modern audiences because America, for, for all our progress and, and all of our grandstanding, we're still a nation that's terrified about the afterlife and terrified about female sexuality. I mean, which to me is just was just another it's just another term, more vulgar terms that we have now to describe women that don't fit into this category sure. that we um, want to put them in. And it's just a powerful film. And on top of that, it's fucking scary. It is. It um, it puts you on edge right away. I mean, you see the witch. <laughs> I am such a I'm such a proponent of like keeping the villain, the menace hidden in a horror film, right? And then a slow build-up. A slow build-up, right. Like, what you don't see is way scarier. But the witch, like, completely turned that on its head. I guess, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but it happens within the first ten minutes. You see the witch abduct a baby and butcher it for a sacrifice to call upon the devil. Within the first ten minutes. And she is naked and she is ugly. Yes, and like, th- that image with the discordant voices in the background, it, it very much reminded me of um, 2001 Space Odysseys. The choral vocals just bashing and bouncing off one another. There's that going on. And then she's like shaped against a, a magnified, just brilliant full moon. And like, I don't even know what she's doing. If she's like worshiping or, but she's got contorting in front of it. Talk about just beautiful filmmaking. I mean, the moon is framing this like naked, grotesque body. You have like this beautiful full moon and this hideous elderly witch body <laughs> in front of it. Bathing in baby's Baby, blood. Bathing in baby's blood. Where do you go from there, right? Maybe, maybe you couldn't shock audiences any more than that as the film goes on, but the, the film definitely has this air of absolute menace hanging over it for the rest of its duration because of that decision. Yeah. The film went there already. What's holding it back from doing anything it wants? Right. <laughs> And I thought that was a brilliant stroke. It completely flipped, flipped my idea of a perfect horror film on its head. Like, showed us the worst of it right off the bat and made me uncomfortable in its restraint afterwards. Yeah, and it also, I feel like it does justice to the whole Salem witch trial affair. 
in that it communicates what was so terrifying about that situation. If you were labeled a witch, how do you defend yourself? Yeah. How do you prove that you aren't a witch? There's no way to do it. And so this, the main character, this daughter, once her loyalty is called into question, there's nothing she can do. Yeah. And labeling someone like that, it almost pushes you. Why not side with the devil? <laughs> yeah. If there's no place for you. The famous line, do you want to live deliciously? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what choices does she have at that point? You know, her like everyone has already labeled her. Everyone thinks she's a, a witch or loose or whatever you want to call it. You know, again, I think the, the term has just changed throughout the decades, throughout the centuries. So what choice does she have? And also the fear of surviving in the wilderness. Like, America must have been a terrifying place. That's a very American fear, absolutely. You know? The fear of the woods. There is nothing out there. There are things in the woods that will kill you. Again, I, I, I think that's a quintessential American theme. Man versus the wilderness. Man versus nature. Now, there's a whole host of problems with that. You know, because it was basically white man versus... versus nature where indigenous people used to live. I mean, yeah. but that is an American thing. That, that film has stuck with me. I remember things about it vividly. And it's a fantastic film. <laughs> the, um, Go watch it. The oh. possession scene. Gosh. <laughs> that was hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't imagine getting that kind of performance out of children. Oh, and the, um, the twins. They're always kind of wandering around like talking to each other and playing games with each other and kind of annoying their older sister. There's something really... its They're funny. Like, it's really funny, but also they're kind of scary because mm-hmm. they, they have their own language almost, and you really don't know what's going on with them, whose side they're on. Yeah. Is that funny to say? Do you, do you get that? Like, get, they, seem, they seem almost malevolent. They are because... They have such a hold over the parents who are the power structure. And they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. But like whatever they, they say is going to be taken as truth. And they don't appreciate the consequences of right. their actions. Yeah. And it it feels like a grim fairy tale sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that movie does everything well. It's a classic. Yeah. So, The Witch... Fantastic film. Go watch it. Go watch it. If you watch one movie in this list, Make It The Witch. If you watch two, <laughs> Make It The Witch and the Skin. <laughs> if you decide to watch more than two, watch them all. <laughs> I'll second that. And this will not be the last time we talk about a David Eggers film. Stay tuned.